get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. catch up with our friend at ESPN's Baseball Insider, Kylie McDaniel. You can follow him on Twitter at KylieMCD. He's joining us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Kylie, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Doing good. I assume I'm coming on to talk about the Vladimir Tarasenko trade. Yeah, I, yeah let's if, hear it. If you've got any thoughts, we're willing to take them. Kylie, what you got? I Well, during the break, I learned how to pronounce his name, so I don't know if I'm going to be talking about this trade. Well, hey, you crushed it, by the way, so congrats. Now try Thank to you. pronounce his new centerman's name, Mika Zabinijad. Yeah, you got that. You can spell that for us, right, Kylie? I, I used to be a big hockey fan. I actually, uh, my last season following hockey closely was when I lived in Tampa and the Lightning won the Stanley Cup. And I know just from hearing that name, he's probably from Finland, isn't he? I think he is, actually. There you go. Look at you go. Yeah. Kylie McDaniel, been, noted hockey expert. You throw a Z and a J in there, he's got to be from Finland, right? Yeah, there's. The, well, I've, I've just noticed, like, it, I mean, it happens in baseball, too, but there's, like, just certain countries where you learn the little quirks of, like, I learned uh, uh, from basketball that, like, uh, Serbian and Croatian have slightly different ways of pronouncing the ICs at the end of their names, and that's how often you can tell which country a player's from. I've just, I've just learned from my wife being Polish that if you have a Z, or multiple Z's in your last name, you're probably some type of Polish there descent. We so we learned a lot of name Look origins at us. here today. Thanks Kylie. for joining, Kylie. Kylie appreciate talking. Yeah. We'll catch you next appreciate time. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you in about three months or so. <laughs> um, Kylie, let's talk a little Cardinals uh, prospects, if you don't mind. Let's start with that. I, we've talked to you before about Walker and Wynn and all those guys at kind of the top level of the prospect system, and I'm sure we will again here in the future, but one of the things that's come into focus for the Cardinals over the course of the last few months is their pitching and what the future of their rotation is going to look like because uh, don't look now, but they have one starter basically uh, signed beyond this upcoming season. So these guys that are in their system are going to come into focus soon at the major league level as well. Let's start with Gordon Graceffo because John Mozeliak said at the winter warmup that he's a guy that he could see being on the cusp of the big leagues this year. Kylie, what do you need to see from Graceffo for him to take that next step? Step. Yeah, he's an interesting guy because a lot of the, the players in this general range, like a good example of this, I knew who he was as a sophomore in high school and had been watching him for three years leading into the draft. And then every year you get a slightly updated sense of you know what he's good at, what he needs to work on, how close he is, all that sort of thing. Uh, Graceffo, like I didn't even really know his name until like the draft was coming around because he was like a fourth or fifth round pick uh, out of Villanova, who I believe was the conversion guy and just like wasn't wasn't like a summer showcase guy, wasn't a Cape Cod League guy, like just wasn't on the radar. And so there's a little bit of a perception that with a guy like Libertor that you've known for so long, it's like oh he's always just like on the verge of the big league, he's so polished, uh, and and these guys are you know just so advanced and so close. Whereas a guy like Graceffo, because he's new. He's perceived as being further away, but then when you actually just look at him, if you if you didn't have any of the history and you just watched him pitch in Double A, you'd be like, "Well, this guy's you know six four, two ten, good athlete, throws strikes, 
efficient. Like you would think he was one of those guys. And so if you then take them from like what they actually are, I, I think, you know, Libertor and Graceffo, like very well, Graceffo could jump ahead of Libertor just depending on how the first half of the season goes, uh, you know, what the pecking order is, if somebody gets hurt, if there, you know, there's an opening or something like that, like he's right there at that same level. Whereas there's some other guys like say Tink Hens who are probably like a full year behind those guys. But if you were to say, are, are all three of those guys ready for the 2024 rotation? Like they all could be. With, with Graceffo, we, we've we heard him described as a quote-unquote power arm, right? Is that a fair description of him? Because, like, you look at the strikeout rates. They weren't unbelievable down at the, the AA level last year. Uh, what? How would you describe for Cardinals fans what kind of a pitcher Gordon Graceffo is? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple different ways of looking at it. Usually what will happen is if a guy doesn't strike a lot of guys out and doesn't throw very hard, he's a finesse guy. And if he strikes a lot of guys out and throws hard, then he's a power guy. And then, like you're saying, like he's somewhere in the middle there. Uh, although I'm like looking at my scouting grades, I have him with four above-average pitches and potentially above-average command. Uh, so he may be seen as like more of a you know balanced pitcher that is kind of good at everything. And so you then don't you know remember that he's like in the mid-90s. So it doesn't seem like a power guy because he's not striking guys out and he's not just overpowering them. Uh, he's more of like an athletic, well-rounded guy, which I think is also sort of in keeping with the with the Cardinal sort of style of pitchers that they tend to acquire and the kind of guys that they, uh, you know, whether it's the draft or free agency or how they develop in the system, like that's the kind of guy they tend to take. So, Kyla, you mentioned Tink Hens probably still being a year away, and he's one that a lot of Cardinals fans have kind of gravitated towards because they feel like that he's got the electric stuff, or at least they hear that he's got the electric stuff to be a top end of the rotation guy. Do you believe that he's got that in him? Yeah, I mean, the question with him is he's only pitched in low A, and he hasn't thrown more than 50, 52 and a third innings in any one season in the minors because he was like so slowly ramped up because he, he his draft year was the 2020 COVID year, so he didn't get the full spring after doing the summer showcase um, stuff the year before. And so the Cardinals wanted to take it easy just because he hadn't really thrown a lot of innings. This isn't like the same thing as a guy that's thrown 100 innings three years in a row at Texas A&M where these guys can just walk right into the rotation uh, like Michael Waka and some of these other guys have. So hence, I would imagine this year they're going to look at 80, 90 innings, uh, probably high A with a taste of double A. And if that all goes to plan, he's healthy, he performs, he does all those things, then 2024 you're looking at, well, I mean, if you got a spot for him, you might be able to break with the big team and throw 120, 130 innings, maybe spends the first half of the season in the minors, but it's like short stints to try to have a chance to use him in the second half of the season. Like that's the kind of track uh, you're talking about with him because he's so good. And I think he actually seems if you're just sitting there watching him like more of a power arm, even though he throws just as hard as Graceffo does because it is such a clean, efficient delivery with a quick arm. It's whippy. Like it sort of has those characteristics like uh, like a Jordano Ventura when you just watch him move. It kind of looks like that, but they're both throwing about, you know, 95 on average. Uh, the difference is with Hint, it's above average stuff, but because he's young and hasn't thrown a ton of innings, it could all be plus stuff. And because of the way that he delivers, that's what scouts look for when they see a kid that's throwing 90 as an 18-year-old and project him to throw in the high 90s. It's guys that are athletic, that haven't thrown a ton, that have that whippy arm. Like Tink has all those things. So you can imagine him throwing 100 not because he necessarily will but because that's like on the table with all the components that are in place i love that Jordano was your comp form that's exactly the guy that i compared him to as well it makes me feel like i'm at least uh, on the right path there we're talking to kylie mcdaniel of espn.com here on 101 espn sticking with tink hints there for just another moment uh kylie one of the things that we've run into uh here in st louis is that with prospects, and I'm sure that you get this maybe even more than we do because you're talking about all of them as opposed to just the ones that we do here in St. Louis, people just assume every prospect is going to hit their 90th percentile outcome. And when they don't, 
they're considered to be a disappointment. So Jordan Walker, it was asked the other day, like, hey, if he's J.D. Drew, if he has J.D. Drew's career, is that considered a success? And Cardinals fans were resounding, absolutely not. That would be horrible for Jordan Walker when J.D. Drew was really, really good. So for Tink Hintz, what is like a, a median outcome for him? What are the expectation levels for a guy like that at this point in his minor league career? Well, he's especially high variance because uh, he just turned 20. He's only pitched in low A. And I described him as just the kind of guy. Again, if you just watch him and don't know his history, it's a guy that could be a frontline starter, which a lot of guys don't reasonably have that as their like 75, 80th percentile outcome, which also means that the floor, if he's not a top 10 prospect in baseball, has to be like gets hurt and doesn't make the big leagues or gets lost on waivers after bouncing around for a few time, a few years. Uh, I would say like the day Alex Reyes came up, everyone probably thought he was going to be a frontline starter. And he just, you know, didn't really do a whole lot and then was lost for essentially nothing. And like some guys get there and like right when they get there, they look like they're going to do great. And then they don't. Uh, so I would say like the expectation for Hens should almost be something like that. Like he l- continues to look great, uh, but is a little inconsistent, maybe a little injured, maybe some command problems, maybe comes up as a reliever, can't quite do it in longer stints, and is just sort of a guy that hangs around and has a good season or two here or there. Like that's kind of what you should expect because, like I said, like that variance of the best and worst outcomes are so big that somewhere in the middle has to kind of be disappointing to have a guy in the top 100 with a chance to be uh, a frontline guy because I think we know going through these lists, when you have like a top 100, if you just look at those 100 guys five, six, seven years later, like 20 of them do anything close to what you think they're going to do. Like 80 of these guys essentially do nothing. Interesting. That, that's a good, some good context, I think, for, for our listeners to have there. Uh, and we have that as the backdrop for the next quote that I have from your story, Kylie. Uh, you wrote this about Cooper Jerpy, and this was one of the reasons why we originally reached out to you. You said, I think it's about 50-50 that Jerpy will be in the top 100 next winter. It's not a perfect comp, but I think there are a little bit of lefty Aaron Nola vibes here. Oh, buddy. Kylie, can you explain that a little further for us? <laughs> are you guys into that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we're talking about giving Aaron Nola like all of the money next offseason. If for some un- yeah. ungodly reason, Philadelphia decided to let him walk, which seems unlikely because they're Philadelphia. Um, but if they did, like, yeah, give him all of the money right now. So, yeah, if they've got one of those guys in their system, well, I'm, worry about I'm into that. So a little bit of context, I, my sort of first time that I uh, started stepping outside, because uh, I've been doing a version of this job for like 10, 15 years now. Um, the first time I stepped outside of the c- consensus of what uh, scouts were telling me, especially at the top of the draft, I said like, no, this guy's going to go here, but I don't think he's that good. I think this guy's better than him. I don't care if the day that they're drafted, it looks silly that I have them in this order. Uh, if you think all the way back, some of your listeners may not know this guy, uh, Tyler Kolek, uh, high school righty out of Texas, looks like an offensive uh, tackle and threw 100 with a good breaking ball. He went second overall. And I ranked Aaron Nola, who I think went seventh or eighth overall ahead of him, knowing that they were going to go five picks apart and Nola was going to go behind him. Because I said a year from now, Tyler Kolick, again, talking about the probabilities, in all likelihood, he's going to be throwing 100 with a good breaking ball with four or five walks per nine in low A. And not every team would trade for him as the headliner of a trade. So, like, that's what we think that, like, if we're looking one year into the future, that's probably what he's going to be. And it's going to be kind of polarizing. Not everyone's going to have the same view. Aaron Nola, who had three plus pitches and was carving up the SEC. He will be in AAA, and every single team would want him to headline a trade. Why can't we just all look one year in the future and know where we're going to be and, and sort of you know transport ourselves there instead of being like, well, a guy that looks like an offensive tackle that throws 100 could be the greatest pitcher of all time. And you just sort of sound like an idiot when you talk about it that way. 
So to then move that forward to Jerpy, uh, I talked to some scouts that saw him at the beginning of the spring last year when Oregon State played in Arizona, and scouts that are you know very eyeball oriented, old school guys that seen for the first time are just like I don't know, low slot lefty, eighty to ninety one, soft slider. It's a lot of you know uh, you know smoke and mirrors and whatnot, and and so I sort of wrote him off a little bit, and then late in the season, a lot of the more progressive guys that are you know really into the TrackMan data and really look at this stuff and understand it, and like the pitching specialists, the guys that really know this stuff, are like. I don't know how to grade it. Like you can't just look at the velocity and say that this is exactly this guy because like there's a bunch of other stuff going on with like the low slot and the flat approach angle and the life and all the different things that happen. But he's not like that, that normal, like high three quarter righty that throws hundred miles an hour. He's not that guy, but they're like every pitch he throws is essentially above average to plus and everything he commands at an above average rate. It looks weird, but when you start lining them up and you try to find guys historically that have been like this, the one that have succeeded look like this. And so with Jerpy, I think he's sort of like that NOLA conversation where it's like, yeah, maybe he was the 17th or 20th best player in the draft, but a year from now he's going to be in double-A carving guys up with above average stuff in command, and everyone's going to want him. So why don't we just look forward and be like, what is he going to be next year? There's 50 guys ahead of him graduate. He has a really good season. A bunch of other guys falter and get hurt and don't throw strikes. And so it seems 50-50 that like, he'll sneak his way onto the back of the top 100, and we'll all be surprised because he didn't go in the top 10 of the draft. So, and I know it's hard to do this, uh, Kylie, but when you look at somebody like that who, you know, is at the college level still, and of course Cardinals fans are going to project outward and say like, yeah, but when's he going to be a part of this rotation? (laughs) Are are we still a few years away from a Cooper Jerpy being a part of this Cardinals team? No, he's the kind of guy that, and I don't know if this is exactly how the Cardinals think about it, but I think this is at least partly how they look at it. This guy needs to be put like probably high A to start the year just to challenge him enough that he's forced to learn new things and improve. And then if he like carves up high A, then you probably put him in double A. And once the guy's in double A, like you can call him up at any time. So like, I wouldn't be shocked if he starts in high A, gets to double A. And if there wasn't all this pitching death, we were just talking about ahead of him, like seven or eight, like viable starters, including Graceffo and Libertor, then he would be like a, you know, on a team with no pitching depth, he might get a look at the end of the season. And everyone will be like, how did this guy get to the big league so quickly and last that long in the draft? And, you know, Marco Gonzalez is kind of like that. Walker was kind of like that. Like, you can't really rule out that sort of path getting there that quickly. That's all on the table. It's just, like, I don't think they're going to need him this year. So I think he'll just be on the same conversation with Hintz and Libertor and Graceffo that if they don't get an extended look this year, they're all going to be 2024, if not like opening day guys, like, oh, he's going to get a look at some point, like if everything goes to plan. Interesting. So basically the, the Gordon Graceffo plan from a year ago, where yeah. he started at, at high A and then made his way up to double A. And this year, the expectation is uh, that he'll be at triple A. Kylie, final question that I've got for you, because there's a player in the Cardinal system, and we saw him briefly in the big leagues last year that I just frankly don't understand, and I don't know what to do with him. And it's Alec Burleson. He's a left-handed hitter. He makes a lot of contact and the Cardinals frustration with him last year when he got to the big leagues and it's 50 at bat. So you can take this for with a massive grain of salt was that he didn't hit it hard enough whenever he did make contact and his on-base percentage is not particularly high get relative to his batting average doesn't take very many walks. So it, it, it's kind of a, a strange profile and he's more of a DH type than a corner outfielder. What is Alec Burleson? in terms of what he can be for the Cardinals in 2023 in your mind? It's like a really open-ended question. What is he? Um, (laughs) So he's tricky for me because he was like more of a pitcher than a hitter in college. And when he was drafted, it was like, okay, this is probably more of a hitter in pro ball because it was like a lefty that threw like 87 to 91 with a bunch of guile. Like it probably wasn't like a big leaguer as a pitcher, but definitely good. And so we didn't, as like a scouting community, didn't know what to expect when he got into pro ball because like he'd never been a full-time hitter before. He'd been seen as more of a pitcher going back to high school. And then he like shoots his way to AAA in his first full season. And we're like, okay, we thought this guy had 
50 to 55 raw power, like, you know, sort of 15 to 20 home run kind of upside and like some feel for the bat head. It turns out he has even more feel for the bat head than we thought. And he got to his power in games. And so he's just like a little further ahead than we were expecting. But I'm looking at my, my track man data right now. Uh, his chase rate was 35% in the minor leagues last year mm. for context that the levels he was at like 25 to 30 is sort of normal. And in the big leagues, 33%. This is against big league pitching is normal. So he was facing lesser pitchers and swinging more than he, more than average uh chasing in terms of out of the zone than you would again against big league pitchers against minor league pitchers so it gives you sort of some context for he needs to move up a level and swing less and chase less he also was swinging 10 percent more than everybody else so he was a nice surprise in terms of how well what he did played in the upper minors and how quickly it played and now he is faced with a second issue which is you swing too much that's probably how you got here so quickly is nobody was game planning for you and you just sort of snuck up on everybody and now people are going to know what your weakness is which is you know slider off the plate fastball uh, above the zone you know change it below the zone like all these sorts of tricks that the big leaguers have that the guys in double a don't have you have to be able to deal with that and if he doesn't adjust then he's just an extra guy a corner utility guy that can be the correct side of a platoon and and be like a nice guy to have and if you can take that next jump and be like average in terms of chase rate and swing rate and things like that then he could hit you know 270 with a 320 on base and 15 or 20 homers and be a solid everyday guy and like that's basically the the thing he's at now which will basically dictate what kind of career he has and for context sometimes these guys figure this thing out the next year and he'll just be that guy this year sometimes these guys get lost on waivers three times and are carlos Pena and nelson cruz and they figure out at age 28 and sometimes like the career's over at 25 like there's a bunch of different directions this can go and there's versions of guys like this, like Ben Grieve, that like win rookie of the year and are out of the league in three years. <laughs> like, like to give again to give context with a top 100 prospect, which he almost made this year. Uh, the sort of path of these careers are always thought of as linear, and you slowly get better, and then you slowly get worse, and then your career's over. That's not what actually happens in real life. So, give him an opportunity to prove what he can do. Uh, but I would say, you know, try to be patient and give him some time. And the fact that the Cardinals have so many big league caliber young hitters means that if it's not working at the big league level, he can go to AAA and he's not necessarily needed and he'll have some time to sort of add that seasoning and do the things he needs to do. Progress not being linear is a good lesson for all of us to learn, not just in baseball, but in life. Hey, Kylie, we appreciate the time as always, man. Happy that we could teach you who Vladimir Tarasenko was. And hopefully we'll talk with you again soon, my friend. Yep. Thanks for having me on.